Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, we've been talking about things reopening and stage two, which uh, I guess as of Friday uh, will include everybody except Toronto, Peel, and the Windsor areas. Uh, but other than that, uh, stage two, the rest of the province uh, moving into that. Uh, it is a gradual reopening. Reopening. It certainly doesn't mean that it is a, uh, a free-for-all. There was an interesting uh, story on the global site uh, where the uh, the title was No Singing and Dancing. And basically what that means is, although the patios are opening up, you can't. there's not going to be loud music in the sense where people are dancing and uh, and singing because I guess when you've got that party atmosphere, People start speaking moistly, as the prime minister would say, and sweating and, and uh, you know, unless you're going to cover your whole body in a, a, a mask, a giant burlap sack mask, you can see how, again, social distancing uh, comes into play. Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, PR guru. Alyssa PR, she is with us now. Alyssa, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm always doing well when I speak with you, Scott, as I hope you do when I talk with you. <laughs> Absolutely. It brings a smile to my face. It, it makes me... <laughs> anyway, uh, I was going to say something related to a mask, but that probably would be interpreted wrongly, interpreted wrongly, and I'd be in trouble. I'd be in trouble. I'd need a PR person to get me out. And I'd so, be uh, for you. Exactly. So here we are. Uh, things are starting to reopen up. Uh, patios, uh, of course, bars, people out on patios and such, which makes sense since it is the summer and such. But this is going to be a lot different than uh, it normally is. We're going to talk about theaters, too, in a moment. But, you know, no singing, no dancing. Is this going to be any fun? Well, I don't know. I don't usually go singing at bars, so I'm okay. But, um, although I've known to, but... uh... You know, it's interesting. I've been looking at my Instagram feed, Scott, to see that, you know, obviously there's other regions that are into phase two already and to see what they're doing. And the first thing that people seem to be doing that they feel safe uh, to do is they are going to outdoor patios. And that seems to be the first sort of step, a little toe in the water, in order to see how they feel about going out in public and whether they feel that it's a safe and clean space. I think that people want to get together. Uh, honestly, I know that um, Toronto is not yet into phase two, although it's supposed to be by the end of next week. And I already see, like, I- I'm in the region of, um, I'm in York region, so I do see people getting together. Uh, people are going over to other people's houses. You know, the notion of the bubble, creating your own bubble of 10 people, I don't think is well-defined, and people don't understand what that actually means. I actually went onto the website to figure out Okay, what do they mean by a bubble? Is it just these same 10 people, which apparently it is? People want to get out there. They want human contact. It's nice out. Yeah, there are people who who are content just staying home, but I think that you're going to see that they're starting to bring more people into their lives. So while we can't sing or participate in an outdoor choir, uh, I think that people are going to push the envelope on their own accord. And we are starting to see that, aren't we? Yeah, we absolutely are starting to see that. I mean, just when you drive around the city or when you, uh, you know, you read in the newspapers, you see what your neighbor is doing. I mean, I phoned a neighbor and I said, you want to go for a walk? She says, oh, my husband and I are just on our way out. Well, out where? You know, so Mm. uh, obviously to somebody else's house. So people do want to get out. They do want to socialize with other people and family. I mean, I want to go to my mom's condo and went upstairs for the first time in what, three and a half months? And we still sat, you know, six feet apart, but it was great to be there. And good friends of ours invited us to see Dairy Queen, 
And we all went, and we sat in the parking lot. We stood in the parking lot, you know, appropriately yeah. distanced, more or less. Then we had ice cream. People want to be with people. It's human nature. It just depends what your comfort level is in what you want to do. So movie theaters, Cineplex talking about a soft reopening in Alberta. Uh, many thought when we started getting unbelievable home theater systems that the whole theater industry would, would end. And, and what we found out was, no, people still love going, for the, like you just said, to congregate and watch the experience together uh, on an even bigger screen. So w- when you're talking about a soft reopening and putting six seats between you and the other person, doesn't that kind of defeat what the going to the theater is all about? How are we going to accept this? Well, let's talk about movie theaters, obviously. They are in a different category. So I was asked earlier today, well, what about concerts? Do people want to get together and, and feel that live experience with a concert? And how does that compare with the movie theater? Movie theaters were already in trouble, Scott, before COVID. And they were doing everything in their power in which to draw people back into their establishment. So you saw in the last two years how they were opening up, um, well, more than two years, but you saw how they've been opening up gaming arcades. You saw that they're offering more food options than just yeah. traditional, you know, popcorn and a and a soft drink. So they have been doing things to get people inside, so there is more of a well-rounded experience. I remember going to see The Greatest Showman, you know, the movie with Hugh Jackman, and mm-hmm. before it came on screen, Hugh Jackman and the producer came on and they said, "Thank you for showing at the movie theater because this is the type of film that should be seen in a large screen format." So there was already an issue with throwing people into the movies. Streaming services such as um, Netflix and uh, Amazon Prime, you know, they are keeping people at home, A, for the comfort, and it's a heck of a lot cheaper, which what could turn out to be sort of a $100 evening if you go see the movie. So as a result of this, do you think that, uh, because we've talked about this with restaurants too, that we're going to see a change in this industry post-COVID-19? I think that we will, okay, so with restaurants, I think we're going to see a short-term change. Do I think the long-term health of restaurants, if they can survive this, we are going to want to go back to restaurants? The answer is yes. I mean, certainly for me, and I'm not speaking for everybody, but, you know, one of my hobbies is eating. So, (laughs) (laughs) and people are feeling, like when it comes to dinner time in your house, I don't know how your family feels or you and your wife feel, but... Oh, it's dinner. You both look at each other. What do you want? Okay, here's an egg. (laughs) Try it. You know, dinner at home has lost its luster. I have baked, Scott, all the bread I am going to bake. (laughs) All right? It was funny. My wife. All the cinnamon buns I'm going to bake. My wife was saying this exact same thing yesterday and saying, you know, if each one of you could just give me some sort of idea of what you want, and we just say, we don't care. It doesn't matter to us, but that's that's a whole different subject for her. That's not true, because when you sit down, you're like, oh, meatloaf, I guess. So you do care, and that's the thing. Like In the morning, you know, somebody in your family turns to you and says, what do you want for dinner? And you're looking and say, I just finished my toast. Yeah. But anyways, I digress. Do we want to go back to movie theaters? I think that the case in Alberta is going to be a bit of a litmus test. Let's call it a pilot project, if you will. And based on that, um, you know, I think that we'll see what happens there. So, for example, I did a small Instagram poll before I came on with you. And it is by no means statistically significant. But overwhelmingly, people said no. Maybe two people Mm. said yes, and all the rest are like, no, I'm not going. 
And then I thought, well, you know, people might still want to go. I mean, I'm starting to see the previews of films that are being pushed back in terms of their release dates. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I'd like to see that. And, oh, that one looks good. And, you know, I crave for what I can't do, which is go to the movie theater. And remember when it was really hot out and, you know, you didn't have air yep. conditioning maybe at home? You know, going for two and a half hours to be cool and for a great movie was something that we used to do. So it will be interesting. I think that people's comfort zone starts to get a little bit more um, eased or comforting once they know that their friends and family have gone and they thought it was a safe, clean experience and it was a, a great night out. So uh, I think I think it still remains to be seen. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, let's uh, move on to uh, to politics here. Uh, we are in week 14. I've got a whole stack of notes beside me. Uh, every day I do like a hot sheet of all the topics, uh, not the topics, but the, the issues that the Prime Minister and the Premier touch on. Um, and, and that sheet keeps getting smaller and smaller every day. Uh, today the Prime Minister... Uh, was speaking again and uh, the provincial one the provincial press conference and nothing to do with political stripes here just obviously more pertain to us so there's more valuable information there it seems the prime minister is now using his uh, 11 o'clock press conference as a a campaign stop per se i'm hearing over and over and over again the phrase working for you i'm hearing over and over and over again uh, our government is there for you. I mean, is is this uh, is this auditioning their their positioning statement for the next campaign? Well, isn't that interesting? And it's uh, it's really interesting how you've distilled it into a a one liner message. You know, we're working for you, which is typically a campaign sounding slogan, isn't it? And I think that when you come out every day at eleven fifteen, and it's funny, I was thinking about this the other day. You know, what do you what do you got to say? You know, not every day is going to be a bit of a blockbuster in terms of news bites and sound bites the way it was in the first two months of COVID when we're waiting for, you know, monetary announcements to help along the economy. So here you have a, a captured audience. It's almost what they call in the industry forced viewing, 11.15 a.m. every most, most days during the week. Uh, Trudeau uh, alights from his cottage, comes down to the setup and starts talking. So what better way to also expand and use that platform by trying out narrative uh, tropes that may start to land or at least seed in the minds of the public? So it doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, that being said, um, at, at what point does this start to become redundant? At what point do uh, does the public realize that that's what it is? Or do they? if everybody realizes what it is. Some people just tune in, and I think that you and I as media watchers are a little bit more sensitive to the narratives that are coming out. I certainly think that the Canadian public is savvy enough to know that if you hear it once, twice, and three times, that obviously there's something being said here. And we know that governments and political parties often put out narrative, let's say, test balloons to see how people react to certain storylines or certain slogans. In this case, it's more of a slogan. Um, you know, when you say something on behalf of a party that we are working for you, uh, you know, that means that all the things it upholds, all the things that they've been doing to date, you know, small business loans, rent uh, easements, SERBs, student subsidies. So, in essence, it does uh, capture all the actions that they have done to date. Uh, 
And it, it makes a lot of sense. Now, whether they continue that as a part of electioneering and, you know, it's interesting. We know that we know that election is, is far away from here, but we also know that, you know, Jagmeet Singh has been making noises that, you know, sure, we're not going to call for a snap election, but we can't support, you know, the CERB unless it's extended and we can't do this. And, uh, you know, so maybe they're starting it out because of that. But honestly, I don't think Jagmeet Singh is earning himself any brownie points with any of this. So. Uh, it, it, many there's been lots of chatter about whether there will be a early election call. Obviously, conservatives need to find a leader first, but as soon as that happens, they will be uh, flung into all of this because we all know during a pandemic, uh, one's popularity is really high, and then as we move down uh, uh, down the curve away from the pandemic and the bills start to roll in, that uh, support uh, diminishes pretty quickly. Uh, it's a pretty fine line here they're trying to balance. Honestly, I think Canadians would be mighty angry if uh, one of the opposing parties threw us into election during this time. Elections cost money. We all know that the parties have budgets. I cannot see this being a win-win because somebody wants to make a power play. You really have to weigh the odds here. You really do. And of course, the Conservatives need a leader before they start this. But really, if somebody asked me to go to the polls right now, I think we have bigger fish to fry. Don't take the government's eye off the ball. You may not agree with them. Maybe you want to hold them in check and make sure that they're doing the right thing on behalf of Canadians and using your power that way. But don't get their, don't throw their eye off the ball when that's where we need them right now. Uh, at this point, conservatives getting ready to, uh, obviously, COVID-19 slowed down their leadership uh, race. Uh, now talking about uh, virtual uh, sort of debates and such, which are oddly enough coming up this week. A lot, not very much talk about this. You know, it's interesting. I had heard some talk about it, but until you mentioned it right now, I thought there's virtual debates. Um, wow. Debates between the candidates running to lead the Conservative Party of Canada will be held in Toronto later this month. Uh, the party announced today the French debate June 17, English June 18. Well, that's from the CBC. Really? Well, that's yeah. soon. <laughs> like yeah, this tomorrow. was dated back. This was dated back in June, so I guess we've heard nothing more on this as as of that. It's interesting. So maybe they maybe they want them to happen, but maybe they're not that interested in, in having it publicized. I don't know. I mean, they all all of the candidates are keeping quite low at this point. Uh, is that by design? I mean, you know, we're we're hearing little things from Aaron O'Toole. Peter McKay has virtually been silent. Are, la- are they letting Andrew Shear? Uh, do all the dirty work here, and and then once this is over, uh, they'll step in. And is there any advantage to them being uh, prominent right now? Not really. I mean, honestly, you know, when you're picking a new leader, this isn't uh, you know done by all Canadians. This is done by party members. So the only people they really have to do any communications with are those people who will put them in the leadership position. Why stick your neck out there with a contentious issue? when you're A, not the leader, and B, you don't want that to stick to you at this moment. There's plenty of time for that to happen. So, you know, use this honeymoon period to really talk to the audience you need to talk to that will get you to the place that you want to get to. And then you have to create a platform by which you will start to hammer away at once you have that position. Uh, Aaron O'Toole announced his uh, positioning statement or brand, uh, Take Back Canada. Take Canada back, I'm sorry. Take Canada From back. Who? 
from that's what? My first, that's, that's my first question. Awful. That is so uh, awful. And this is why the conservatives, they, they just, you know, they're told time yeah. and time again, don't be divisive. Don't bring up these old narratives of, you know, us against them and what you want this country like and who you want to keep out. Stop it, because it's just it's not in step with the times. And I'm not sure what polling they have or public sentiment that they're reaching, but I just don't get it. Take back Canada, unless it means take it back from the Liberals. But still, that is a far reach. I I can't believe that that is actually somebody's slogan. I mean, if that's his platform, that's his platform. And if that's how he thinks he's going to win the leadership, okay, fine. But then how do you extend that narrative to all Canadians, especially those in those provinces that absolutely do not vote for you? I, you know, when you come up with narratives and you come up with campaign slogans, you have to think of not just the short term, but the medium and the long term. And with Take Back Canada, you're going to be in a debate with you know, the leader of the Liberal Party and the NDP and the Bloc and, you know, take it back from what? Yeah. That just to me is a disaster of a narrative strategy. Exactly. And, you know, I've said many times the, the, the next election will be won in the middle, not on the extremes uh, of either side, the left or the right. And this, to me, does not say anything about unity. It, again, here we are at a time when there, there's so much divisiveness in the world, it's taken a pandemic to even bring us closer together. Uh, should they not have a line, a positioning statement, a brand that preaches unity, bringing the country together, bringing everybody, finding the common ground? And why aren't they? And, and I hope that that's something that they can work towards, because we all knew how Andrew Scheer stumbled through the questions on uh, abortion, you know, pro-choice, and, uh, you know, other questions where he was, where he knows how conservatives, you know, very, very, you know, conservatives that, that he represents would feel. And he was loath to answer them. Even when he was probably given the line and rehearsed his lines, he always stumbled his way through them so that they know their, the conservatives know their weak spots. There is no doubt that they know their weak spots. There is messaging to get around just about anything, but you have to be a skilled tactician in messaging in order to just go beyond the one line that they give you. What are your proof points? How are you going to back that up? How? And, and I think that a lot of us were looking for this new conservative leader to really put a modern face on the party. And I can't believe I'm still saying that, that, you know, if you want the, the 1950s face of, you know, think that everybody's family looks like Ozzy and Harriet, well, they don't. So I don't know why they just don't try and and level up their narrative that it has more mass appeal. Does this sound like a Donald Trump slogan? Many have compared it to that. And, you know, and again, my own. And and again, if we have to if we have to try to debate what the slogan's about, clearly it's missed the mark. Well, you know, this is it. And why would you even create a slogan that creates negative news cycles for you? I mean, the one reason you do it is because you can see what you're up against um, when it's reported on. And, you can, you know, you can sit in your uh, group meetings and say, OK, well, here's what everybody's saying about our brilliant slogan. Maybe it really wasn't the way to go. Or maybe they just care what their base thinks. We, we often see now, you know, in politics, there's narrative divisiveness. Like, you know, Donald Trump creates narratives that talk to his base and really doesn't care about what the rest of Americans think. And that's their strategy. And, you know, people say that, you know, this is not going to work come November. Well, I hope not, but I can't say that for sure.
Uh, are people, has COVID-19 made people exhausted with divisiveness? Um, again, prior to COVID-19, we talked many times about the world, how it seemed more divisive. Has COVID-19 and a pandemic changed that point of view? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's given people more time to think about it. I think more people are concerned about their day-to-day survival, especially if they have been furloughed. And maybe since they've been furloughed, they're not um, going back to work. And I think that we're going to see some, you know, the CERB isn't extended or whatever terms they're going to create, you know, give to the CERB so that it still um, incentivizes people to go back to work. I think people are just worried about what's coming tomorrow and what this other side looks like, because nobody really knows. And I think that governments and, and the people who put them into power, we are looking for consolidated leadership. And we're looking for consistency in message. And we're not really getting that all the time. So, you know, what you want to do is make people feel okay about the situation that they're in and know that you are doing your best. And to date, most um, uh, provincial premiers and the prime minister have in some way, shape or form been able Mm -hmm. to do that. But how do you sustain that, Scott? I don't know. Alyssa Freeman has been with us. Alyssa Freeman has been with us, public relations consultant, Alyssa PR. Alyssa, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. Okay. Thanks, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.